Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we run through this week in racing and preview next week. In the studio tonight is Mr. Seth Eggert from Motorsports Tribune, Richard Uden from Aru's Engineering, Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. How is everybody tonight? Doing good. Thank you. Let's knock out the headlines real quick because we have a guest waiting in the wings. Kyle Busch making it uh, four different winners in NASCAR and four different races. And the IndyCar had their season opener with uh, Joseph Newgarden um, taking that initial win, getting his season off to a great start. Um, a lot of drama in qualifying in both series, which we'll get into later in the show. But before we do that, I, I want to introduce to you our guest. I have with us Derek DeBoer. Drives the number 17 Porsche Cayman for the Racers Group in the Pirelli Challenge GT4 America Series. And he's also the star of Fast Life, which is a reality television program that airs on Amazon Prime. Derek, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing tonight? Well, thanks a lot for having me. I'm, uh, I'm doing good. I'm with you guys, and uh, we're going to talk about racing. So there's, there's nothing I'd rather be doing. So first off, let's talk about your 2019 season. Uh, you've, uh, you guys have run at COTA. Uh, you're running the Sprint X class, which uh, means you have a couple of co-drivers. Your teammates are Jim Rappaport, Dr. Jim Rappaport, and Sean Gibbons. You are with the racing group, and that's Kevin Buckler's team. And you've been with them for several years now. I believe 2013 is when you first uh, signed on with the team. And, um, and, and you've come back. So uh, tell me a little bit about the team dynamic there and, uh, and how, uh, you know, how nice it feels to have that same opportunity again and again year after year. Yeah, I really have to pinch myself each morning when I wake up because there's there's not a finer endurance racing team in the world, I don't think. And to have met them back when I did in 2013 and be starting my sixth season with them is something I'm I'm really proud of to have that, you know, uh, just level of trust and belief in each other. And it's 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 really just become like a family. And you know, clearly things are clicking. They they, they keep letting me come back. So I'm in. <laughs> now you've um. You've done a couple of weather tech starts. You know, we get a lot of drivers on the program, and a lot of the 
the stories are the same when we ask, how did you get into racing? And so like, you know, my dad bought me a shifter cart when I was six and then I was on the road to racing, but you, now you do come from a racing family, but you didn't make the plunge to uh, really, you know, set your career sights on being a professional race car driver until much later in life. Do you, do you think that that's hurt, hurt you, helped you or? Yeah, my path is definitely a, a little bit different than most. And, and honestly, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if my wife hadn't asked me one simple question one night while we were, while we were laying in bed. She said, what passion do you want to chase in your life that I've not heard about yet? And I said, well, I've always wanted to be a professional race car driver. And she was surprised. She'd never heard that. She said, well, then that sounds like something we need to chase. And that was, that was 20 years ago. I hadn't set foot in a race car. And she signed me up for a, a three-day Skip Barber Formula Dodge racing school. And that was really where it began. I certainly grew up looking up to the sport. You know, I, I followed racing. I didn't follow football, baseball, basketball. You know, my, my heroes were the Danny Sullivans and the Mario Andretti's and certainly looked up to my dad as well, who was a drag racer. So I got to follow him around a bit on the drag racing circuit. Speaking of your wife now, she's uh you know, asked you to, to chase your dream, right? Now, her dream is to be a filmmaker. And now we've, we have this wonderful television program uh, that, that airs on Amazon called Fast Life. Uh, and it's, it provides, I've, I've watched uh, all of season one, half of season two, which just dropped recently. Um, but it provides a very intimate look at, at, uh, at your guys' life. I mean, you, we, we can see everything from, from the, you know, the joy of winning, um, the Austin Martin festival at Le Mans to the, the, the fear and the anxiety about, uh, uh, you know, a sponsor who's, um, you know, defaulted on the payment. So, and I've talked to some other folks that have worked in reality television. And one of the things that I, uh, a recurring theme is that sometimes they feel just exposed because their whole life is out there and they run into perfect strangers who just feel like they know them. Have you had any, any experience like that where, where it's, it's, it's been a bit uncomfortable or, or has it been all mainly positive? We have had some of that and it was, it's hard to get used to. And it was also hard for a while to get used to just the camera rolling all the time. There was some comfort in it in that it was Brooke filming. And I always knew that if there was something that, that shouldn't be aired, she would probably err on that side of caution, although she's really just kind of put it all out there. But yeah, there have been moments where you bump into somebody on the street in, in New York City and they, they know who you are or what you've, you've done. Or even just recently, you know, I'll, I'll walk into a place of business and somebody goes, did you purchase the white shoes or the black shoes? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was, you know, something that my wife had shared on her on her face, you know, fast life story or something like that. They didn't know we were being watched, but um, it it really has been awesome, and it's been a a really neat project, and it's been rewarding to see her getting to do what she loves on the side of what I'm doing that I love so much, and the fact that she kind of gave me that gift to chase this dream. There's there's not really a better combination, I don't think. No, I mean when when you really look at it, it's actually very inspirational. How many folks you know you know out there that have these dreams that they haven't, you know, kind of pounced on, and and you know both of you are making that happen. Seth, you have a question? Yes, I do. Uh, as you uh, mentioned, Derek, uh, your father was in top alcohol dragsters. I know your grandfather also raised a little bit on dirt, and your wife. Uh, when you said you wanted to follow your dream, your wife bought you. 
three day Skip Barber uh, test, essentially. How do you find your way into sports car racing? You know, I um, my my initial path or dreams were to race in an Indy car. I mean, it was all single seater, open wheel, formula stuff. And I met a gentleman along the way shortly after my kind of this. I, I'd done the Skip Barber stuff. I did a, a full season of Skip Barber and Formula Dodge. And then I, I ended up talking my way into a into a test in Formula Renault when the two liter cars were coming over here to North America, it was literally, I think I had done one skip barber race at that point in time. So I was, I was probably some, jumping into something well over my head, but uh, Pierre Phillips was the gentleman who was running this, this program in the Northwest. And, you know, it turns out to have been a, a pretty large influence and in, in lots of open wheel guys experience. And uh, he just always told me, he said, Derek, stay, stay in these single seaters as long as you can keep learning as much in this as you can because you're going to be really fast when you make the transition to a sports car. So I just, I, I stayed with it as long as I could, but it became very clear that seats and opportunities were becoming very limited, you know, unless you had a really, really large checkbook or, or the right last name behind you and, and the type of the sport that came with that, you know, I was, I was racing with, uh, with Marco Andretti and in formula Renault and some of these guys and, it was really clear when I saw them just instantly move on to IndyCar and I had no type of budget or ability to get there that I needed to look on the other side of the fence and started looking at sports car. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, at that point in time, there's fields of 75 cars starting the Daytona, you know, the 24 hours of Daytona and three or four drivers a car. And I'm like, the odds look a lot better on that side of the fence of finding one of those seats. Speaking of the 24 hours of Daytona, uh, Going back to 2015, uh, I believe one of your co-drivers was Elio uh, Salazar, a Formula One driver, IndyCar driver, and I'm sure some of your other co-drivers have also competed in Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, etc. Have you ever uh, tried to use any of those connections to do a one-off in another series, whether it's IndyCar, NASCAR, etc.? You know, I, I probably haven't leveraged that as good as I could, and certainly, you know, those types of things are just things that become normal when you're when you're dealing with kevin buckler and trg he just keeps putting you with people and opportunities that i i think i would have never met along the way i mean what what a treat to get to have shared a car with lsao and my first uh, 24 hour daytona experience couldn't have, have really been better than than uh what we experienced there and what kinds of stories have you shared with some of your co-drivers uh that you can share with us anyway uh just some of these stories I can imagine, whether it's a Formula One, IndyCar, etc. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, now having been with the team for, for six seasons, I've kind of been one of the regular fixtures there. So I get a chance to to kind of work with the, the revolving door of drivers that, that happens, you know, today in endurance sports cars. So I, I have had a lot of amazing experiences with the, with a whole handful of different guys and, you know, the things that we get to do together, you know, even, even off of the racetrack, you know, uh, these, it's one of the things I love about racing is there's just such a group of passionate people that are in the sport with similar drive in the other parts of their lives. So almost every time you meet a race car driver, there's something else awesome tied to them. And, uh, it just ended up with, with handfuls of, of awesome, awesome buddies off the track. Great. You said you had some questions. 
Yeah, Derek, uh, t- for our listeners, tell us about the Pirelli World World Challenge. Tell us about the uh, the series and, and, and the class that you run in. Yeah, so Pirelli World Challenge is where I got my feet wet with TRG. My first race ever with them was uh, Pirelli World Challenge um, at their home track, uh, Sonoma Raceway in, in Sonoma, California. And I've mainly ran in the GT4 class. So GT4 is uh, classification cars. They're um, more close to a production car than a GT3 car. You know, almost every manufacturer now that's involved in racing is producing a GT3 car as well as a GT4 car. Um, you know, they, they look like a car that you can go uh, buy on the showroom floor. And I think that's part of what makes Pirelli World Challenge so relevant for the fans. You know, we've got people that are able to watch cars go bang doors together that they're aspiring to own, you know, whether it's a, an Aston Martin or Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, BMWs, you know, Chevy Camaros and Ford Mustangs. It's all all out there together. So the series has uh, changed quite a lot, you know, since I first started driving in 2013. You know, at that point in time, it was multi-class racing. We had two classes. We had GT3 cars and GT4 cars on the track at the same time. It then moved to splitting those up, and then the Sprint X, uh, you know, concept has come along, which is World Challenge's version of endurance racing. It's a two-driver format with a 10-minute window in the middle of the race where we're required to make a pit stop and a driver change. You know, I've always enjoyed endurance racing. I like the team concept of it, sharing a car with the driver, the driver change. All that is a really important part of sports car racing to me, so... To have that format in World Challenge, I think, has been a real success. And I've seen the the field growing, the the talent in the field growing, the, the competition is is better than it's ever been. And, um, you know, it's a it's a really, really great series to be involved with. Typically, how many uh, how many uh, cars are in a, in, in a, a typical field uh, for a race? You know, I pro- probably in the thirty to thirty thirty to forty car fields would be pretty normal. That, that's 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 a sign of a healthy series. Um, looking at your schedule, you're going to be in our neck of the woods in uh, late April. You're going to race at Virginia International Raceway up in uh, up in Danville, Virginia, which is uh, from from Richard and Seth and I just you know a uh, little over an hour drive. Um, tell us about that event and. Uh, what we can expect from that well you might have to come out and say hi first of all well, yeah we'll have to do <laughs> that all yeah. about in person but um yeah i'm excited to get back to virginia um last year was actually the first time that my schedule took me there and you know it, it's just one of those those epic uh, and historic tracks that that still exist here in the u.s that that every driver's wanted to get their hands on um, you know, my event there last year didn't, didn't really end that well, ended up in a, in an incident and, uh, totaled a total of Porsche going backwards into a wall at about 130. Um, of course it wasn't my fault, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> any driver can uh, come up with a list of excuses that completely, um, takes us off the hook. But, um, so that's where I left off at VIR. So I'm excited to go, go pick up again and have a successful weekend. It's definitely a track that um, our new Porsche Cayman should do really well at. So, your races are typically timed timed events. How long are they? They are. They're a one hour long race. I mean, we typically have. Race. We'll always have two two events per weekend. So okay, so you'll have well Saturday Saturday and a Sunday. Is is that typically how it goes? 
Yes, typically that's that's the routine. And and what other what other series will be sharing uh, the weekend with you at at the IR? You know, I I believe at VIR will be a program uh, within World Challenge. There there are so many other things going on. We have- Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. We have uh, the, the, the TC and TCR class that'll be racing. We have the GT4 class. Um, and then there's the GT3 class. Sounds like a terrific ra- uh, weekend for, for race fans. It's for sure. And, you know, one of the, the other attributes is how relevant and accessible it is for the fans. You know, I don't know many other racing series where you know with just with a general admission ticket you you can get right into our garage area you can come right up into the 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 areas of the team and touch and feel the cars and talk to the drivers and team owners and just really immersive and awesome experience well i'll tell you what you've got me got me uh interested i may have to take a trip up there that saturday well we'll uh, swap some information we'll make sure we uh get you in there and taken care of and come come enjoy a weekend with us at trg we appreciate that. We'll look forward to that. All right. Now, Richard, do you like to chime in? Yeah. Hey, Derek, how's it going? Very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. Um, yeah, so I, I'm always interested by the mentality of race drivers, and I, I, I read a lot of, of biography, uh, biographies on the racing drivers and the makeup of a, of a race car driver. And, you know, I think one of the things that you, you probably um, – see more in your series is you interact with a lot of drivers and you know you have a lot of teammates that you race with and you you race against a lot of drivers out there and and one of the big things that a race driver has is a lot of confidence but have you ever been in a situation whether it be with a teammate or a competitor following them round, and you've been that's he's too good for me I can't do that you know that guy's on another level to me you know I I think as a race car driver, you you put yourself in a mode where where you don't go there. You find it motivating yeah. when you when you surround yourself with with people that are better than you, and it and it ups your game. I, I think that's part of what I really love about it. I love to be around a competitor that's got something figured out that I don't, and I can strategically try to try to learn from him or her, and and apply it, and and if it works well, find a way by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, again, it's, you know, there's no reason why you can't do the same thing that they're doing. You know, we're all, in theory, we're all human. We all have, you know, two arms and two feet in most cases and, and you know, can do a pretty damn good job with it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see what sets people apart from each other and the mentality that they choose to, to, to sort of, um, you know, distinguish the two. But, um, one thing I always like to ask drivers, and you know, you read again, you, you read a lot of these books and you read about some of the drivers, but have you ever found yourself, I, I guess, what some drivers and what athletes call in the zone, where you're almost like you're driving in an almost like a subconscious method? Absolutely. I, I think that's part of what happens in, in race car driving or really in any extreme sport. Mm-hmm. You know, any sport where there's some healthy level of fear involved. 
I think your your brain shifts modes where you're not 100% aware of everything that's going on. And, and I think that's when you get into that zone. And those are the drivers or athletes that, that have have that, you know, from the outside looking in ability, like flip a switch and somehow yeah. be at 102%. You, you're not sure how, how they got there. And if you ask them, they're not sure how they got there either. It, it just kind of happened. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the famous case of Ayrton Senna. I think it was Monaco in the 80s where he actually stopped the car because he was, you know, he, he, he said he wasn't in control of the car. He wasn't, you know, he didn't feel like he was driving the car. I mean, I, I certainly don't get that, you know, driving to work every morning. There's plenty of times where I'd like to stop the car on the side of the road and not carry on, but uh, probably for different reasons there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's actually a really interesting book that I've read that kind of addresses that whole concept. It's called the, the rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler. And he's done this whole study of extreme athletes and how they're able to tap into that. Yeah. I've, I've always been interested with endurance racing when you've got to rely on teammates for the stints where you're not in the car. Um, you know, and, and occasionally you'll see a thing where, um, uh, you know, you know, one guy gets the car into the lead and then the next guy gets in there and absolutely, uh, you know, dumps the car in, in, into the gravel trap. Um, uh, you know, so there has to be a level of trust between teammates. But how how nail biting is it, you know, knowing that you've driven a good stint to turn that over? Um, and I, I mean, I mean, do you like, you know, watch or do you just just maybe just like like set back and say, let me just see what happens? It definitely can be nail-biting, and that's, you know, where, you know, I've been very thankful being as close with Kevin Buckler and with TRG as I have been because he doesn't tend to put you in a bad situation. You know, there was even that year where we had, you know, uh, the lineup for for the, for Daytona was not coming together. We needed some more guys, and I know there was a, a million guys standing there that could have just, just paid and bought a seat, but he wasn't willing to put them in the car. He wanted to make sure that, you know, between me and Max Riddle and, and LSAO, we had a team where everybody could rely on, on everyone. I think also race car drivers are pretty realistic. Yeah, it's hugely frustrating to see the positions go backwards or to see an incident, but we also realize it could happen to us just the same. Um, so we're always trying to support our teammates and do the best that we can. I think it's also become you know, especially with the, the way that the rules currently are, that there's very clear roles expected from drivers. You know, with multi-driver racing now, there's, you know, you, you depending on the series, right, you may have a gold driver and a bronze driver paired. You know, the, the bronze driver knows he's not supposed to be as fast as the gold. He's just supposed to make really good decisions, keep the car in the lead lap and clean and, and hand it on over. And, and when he does that, he's going to get really great praise from the team and the other driver. So it's, uh, you know, just a matter of, of trusting your teammates and trusting your team owner and doing what's what's in your box. You know, uh, sometimes what's uh, behind door number one is uh, is is just perfect and you're better off not looking behind door number two. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what exactly is the process from, like, say, moving up from a bronze driver to a silver driver? Is it is it is it uh, just just laps run or, or does it have to do with results? Um, it has to do with results and, and with age as well. And I, I'm not positive that age where you just kind of automatically can become and stay a bronze, but, um, you know, basically if you haven't won a, a championship or a major series, you're going to remain a bronze and maybe a silver. 
Um, you know, I've been lucky to stay where I am. I've, I've won some professional races. I've won a team championship. Haven't won an individual championship. I've been runner-up a few times. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've been able to stay at bronze, which has been beneficial with the way that the rules are uh, this year. So it's, it's really just it, it's up to the FIA and the people there that are looking at that stuff. Is there a, any kind of process in place where somebody can protest their ranking and say, no, I need to be better or I need to be or you're putting me in, in unfamiliar territory or is it or is it just you just, you know, what, what you know, FIA say goes? Yeah, there there is a, a protest process that you can do. Um, but like I said, in my case, I'm uh, certainly happy to to be a, a bronze. And my goal is to be the, the fastest, most professional bronze that you can be. Big, big fish in a small pond. <laughs> exactly. Last year, Derek, you attended your first Indy 500, if I remember correctly. Um, are there any other uh, marquee races that you have plans to attend, whether as a fan or maybe in a dream one day as a driver? I very badly want to find myself back in the in the 24-hour Daytona. That's one of my very favorite events, and I, I really want to have a chance to go win one of those watches. As a driver, I also would like to be back to Le Mans. Um, if you guys followed uh, Fast Life at all, you, you saw that I did get to race there in the Aston Martin Festival and, and got to taste victory there, but I'd, I'd really like to do it in, in the big 24-hour race. And uh, Spa is another one that I, I really would uh, like to get to. Have you have you had an opportunity to run at uh, at Sebring? Um, not at the twelve hour. I've I've had some some other events there. I actually uh, when I was running uh, back with Skip Barber in Formula Dodge, that was first national level uh, Barber Dodge events, and um, I've always enjoyed that track with TRG. We've done lots of events and testing there, and uh, yeah, would would love to find myself in the twelve hour. You know, in a in a perfect world, I'd I'd eventually like to have a whole crack at the four race uh, North American endurance championship. That's on the, that's on the list of things to do and a, and a goal that I'm putting out there for sure. Well, good. Derek, uh, let the fans know how they can keep up with you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we love to interact with the fans by the way. So we love for them to track us down and uh, Derek DeBoer racing.com is a personal website. It has all the, the links to all of our social media, but probably the easiest is fastlife.tv. Um, it's got links to to the Amazon Prime channels for, for seasons one and season two, and it's got all of our social media handles, um, both for me and my wife, who's also got a blog that she's she's running now, and and uh, we're all on there. So that's, that's the best way. And we love hearing feedback. We love getting... Uh, you know, comments on on the Amazon Prime channel and and all that. So I I, I welcome that, and it kind of keeps us going. Everything's not always as bright and rosy as it looks. This is a a difficult path to go down, and there's lots of hurdles. Some uh, some high fives and support here and there help a great deal. Just checked your Twitter uh, your Twitter feed, so that's uh, got a lot of information on it as well. Absolutely. Derek, before before we let you go, I want you to uh, t- take a few moments and plug your sponsors because that because that's oh. it. we all know how important that is in racing. I know uh, Adobe Wineries is one of them. 
Yeah, what a great one, TRG. I just keep joking that I'm like a kid. Let me drive these amazing race cars, and he's got this awesome winery too. So we get to enjoy lots of good Adobe Road wine on the side. So um, with that, you know, we, uh, you know, part of my life is in the automotive world too. So we've got some partners that uh, that both make life easier in the dealership, and they also help us out on the racetrack. And that's uh, Pastime GPS and uh, a data system from Auto Lead Star. They're really, really great partners. Derek DeMore. Drives the number 17 Porsche Cayman for the Racers Group in the Pirelli Challenge GT4 America Series. And he's also the star of Fast Life. We're, we're going to go to a commercial break right now. Drive a circus on Hoobazoo Radio. Do you owe back taxes to the IRS or state? The secret to avoiding the IRS nightmare is to seek professional representation. My friends at Security Tax Associates provide the most cost-effective and ethical representation in the industry while helping to avoid seizures, levies, and wage garnishments. Security Tax Associates is here to ensure that the appropriate steps are taken to permanently eliminate any possibility of future tax burdens once and for all. For a free, no-obligation consultation, contact Security Tax Associates, 844-779-4177. That's 844-779-4177. 844-779-4177. Or visit them at securitytaxassociates.com. Welcome back to Drafting the Circus on the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Uh, you've been listening to uh, Derek DeBoer, who was a fantastic guest tonight. Uh, unfortunately, his audio cut out at the end there, but uh, I did want to go ahead and plug his sponsors for him. Um, he, he drives for um, the Racers Group, um, that, you know, Fast Life TV uh, is his television show. Um, you know, check out his website at fastlife.tv, um, Adobe Wineries. Um, Pastime GRS, LaSalle Solutions, and BRM Chronograph all, all are uh, you know, sponsors of the car. So uh, keep up with him at the Pirelli um, Challenge GT4 Series. So let's talk about this NASCAR race this weekend, right? So we're at Phoenix. Um, Kyle Busch wins it. Very, very, you know, uneventful end of the race, you know. So, uh, But uh, Seth Gray, take us through it. Yeah, it was another another race, and and yet another rules package uh, for the uh, Cup Series this weekend. This weekend they used a bit the larger uh, tapered uh, spacer uh, in the uh, underneath the carburetor, so they had that, and they used instead of using the arrow ducts, they used brake ducts. Uh, but still, the uh, the uh, new splitter and the new rear spoiler were all in place, and uh, I thought it was a a pretty pretty Good race again. Um, of course, typical Phoenix race. Uh, you're going to get one car hit, hit the hit the magic setup, and it's pretty much going to going to be the be the one to beat. And Kyle Busch pretty much had the car to beat. Uh, you know, all all weekend long. Uh, in fact, he won uh, won the double header there. Won the uh, Xfinity race on uh, on on Saturday as well. But uh, yeah, I, I think still we're gonna we see in this new package uh, evolving uh, as we go. They're they're learning it. Next week we go to go to California and we'll see yet another variant of the um, of it. Uh, it'll be more like uh, more like Vegas uh, when we go to California. They'll run the aero ducts 
they'll run the smaller taper spacer. And uh, of course, the the splitter and the spoiler are, are, are in effect. So, uh, and it's a two mile track. So hopefully we'll see a very competitive race there again. And these teams will again, you know, learn, learn as they go. But um, yeah, you know, uh, Toyota uh, came to the forefront. Uh, again, uh, Kyle Busch gets his first cup win of the year. And he joins uh, Denny Hamlin from Joe Gibbs as uh as a, as a winner also. And uh, of course that uh, so far this year through four races, it's been the Joe Gibbs racing in the, in the Penske show uh, with uh, Keselowski and Logano taking Atlanta and, uh, and Las Vegas. So, uh, but uh, I thought the Fords were, were strong again uh, and the, uh, and the Toyotas as well. Chevrolet still uh, seems to be uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, third in class uh, right now. Still, still didn't have that. Uh, hadn't had other than you know Daytona. They really haven't had uh, you know really anybody to uh, to to jump out. So, uh, but we know Kyle Larson runs well there, and maybe look for uh, the number forty-two Chevrolet to kind of uh, come to the forefront uh, and see what he can do. I think Chase Elliott will also. Uh, run well there too but i'm sure chevrolet camp is a little bit concerned based on what they've uh, seen in the in the, in, in these last three races well so, certainly yeah because you know the i thought for a while in the, in the closing stages blaney had him covered but apparently his his car was not as good on a long run as kyle bush and we had a we had a long green run uh, at the end, end of the race actually blaney was two laps short on fuel so that was all him fuel saving yeah okay but, but going back to Chevrolet and its struggles, uh, I will say this, though. if sh- There isn't much that Chevy can point to as a positive, at least from this past weekend. I mean, you had Jimmy Johnson scoring a top 10 on just his second one this season. Uh, otherwise, Chase Elliott, he started on the front row. He got penalized for jumping the start, beating Blaney to the line. Despite doing a pass-through penalty at one of the longest and slowest pit roads on the circuit, Chase still got back on track ahead of Blaney on the lead lap and was able to stay on the lead lap until the first caution. He had enough speed to do that, despite Mm -hmm. essentially being in the worst air of the entire field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that, that is... You know, like I said, Chase has been the standard bearer for Chevrolet, uh, was last year with, with, with three wins. And, of course, Chevrolet only had four last year. With, of course, we know Austin Dillon won the, uh, won the, won the season opening Daytona 500. So, yeah, I, I would expect Chase and probably Larson to, again, uh, you know, carry the Chevy banner. When, like I said, when we go out to California, we just have to wait and see. But, yeah, it's uh, – I tell you what, it's uh, you know I, I'm still some head scratching there because you know uh, when you when you compare it to what uh, you know Ford came out with the with the new uh, new body style this year, basically a new uh, with the uh, the bodies are essentially the same, just a few few little uh, differences in them. But uh, you know Ford came with the Mustang and they have not missed a beat. They're still right there, as competitive as they were last year with the with the Fusion. So I'm sure the Chevrolet camp is is a little concerned right now and, and, and working hard to kind of change it. And I, I don't expect them to stay behind the eight ball 
you know, the entire season. I imagine I would hope they would. Uh, well, there's something curious I've noticed. Uh, work and, so, uh, and make some gains. There's been something curious I've noticed going back to Atlanta and even at Vegas as well. You have a lot of the Chevy teams running very, very well in practice. And mm-hmm. these are teams that don't normally run all that well, or at least haven't in recent yeah. years. Richard Childress Racing, JTG Doherty, etc. And they start the race, at least the first stage, very well. And then it's like they fall off the face of the earth. I mean, they fall they, they fall off after uh, after a long long green run. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And I, well, I will say this, and and you just brought it up. Uh, Austin Dillon had a really fine run going uh, this weekend at Phoenix. He was he was maintaining a strong fifth position and looked like he was going to be in line for a top five. And he ran out of gas uh, late in the race and had to come to pit road and it. You know, it spoiled a, a good day for the for the three team. But uh, yeah, and I'm sure they were encouraged. Uh, that team was encouraged by the way they ran. You know, even though they didn't get the finish that they uh, that they wanted. And it was curious too that he ran out of fuel because he was the only one to run out of fuel, and he came to pit road eight laps later than. Uh, Ryan Blaney and some of the others that were very close on fuel. Well, you know, I heard. I heard some concern by some of the crew chiefs uh, that this new they, that they were unsure about what kind of gas mileage they would get with this new package, uh, the high, higher downforce package. Uh, they thought that they would uh, get poor gas mileage. Uh, so well, I'm sure yeah. that they, which they expect at some tracks, other tracks they think it might be the same or a non-factor because the tire wear like. Uh, Auto Club, Darlington, Atlanta, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were. How, so how many? Um, how, how many teams entered into into Phoenix? Was it thirty six? It was thirty six exactly. Okay, so thirty five managed to work out the fuel mileage. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, I know, I know that. Yeah, you know, I mean, hey, look, I get it. Yeah. You're right in the fact you say you know the air, new aero package does create some unknowns. But... Well, and, you, and, and two, you don't know if they got the car completely full on the last pit stop, too. No, they, they could have been, done. They, they, they couldn't have. They could have been some fuel ish, fueling issues during the last pit stop, and and, and, and then that, that falls on the on the pit crew there, if that yeah. indeed is the case. But, uh, you know, other teams were in fuel-save mode. They knew it was going to be close, but like you said, uh, you know, he was the one that ran out. So I'm sure they uh, – I'm sure that, you know, Richard, you and I both know that was probably uh, a big topic of uh, concern <laughs> around the campus on Monday. And I'm sure they jumped into it and took fuel cells apart and gas cans and everything else apart trying to find out uh, why that happened. I mean, the other uh, end so- of that, though, is, is you know, let's think about a couple of other variables. It's, you know, Blaney ha- may have different shift points than a lot of the other drivers running a place like Phoenix because Phoenix is a unique track that creates different shift points for every driver when they're on it, when they're not, how high they run the RPMs before they decide to, to move through. But I, I'm kind of wondering, who's to say that, that Blaney was even trying to save to begin with? I mean, when you really look at it, you never really expect a full run to go without a caution. So you're going to go for maximum track position because you anticipate that caution late, especially in NASCAR lately. Yeah, and typically, if you follow the uh, follow the, the 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 script, so to speak, there's typically a caution inside the last twenty 
25 to 28 laps at Phoenix, which it, it did not happen uh, this particular race. But, uh, you know, listening to some of the radio chatter uh, during the race, of Austin Dillon was actually in fuel cell mode, too. They were, they, were, they were conversing about that over the radio. So he knew he had an issue, and he was trying, even though he was trying, he was trying to save and maintain this spot, too. So, like I said, so many variables involved, too. You, you, we, we, you know, just um, you don't know if the team got the car full or, or, or what. And then, like you said, the driving style of uh, the driver plays a big part in it, too. They used some drivers used to shift at Phoenix, but I, I haven't uh, I haven't heard them doing that in the last couple of years out there with this uh, with with this newer uh, package they got. But several years ago, they would shift. But uh, uh, sh- but uh, I think the last couple of years they they've got away from that. Just uh, continuing on uh, the news topic this week for NASCAR today, they unveiled the twenty nominees for the Hall of Fame for uh, twenty twenty. Uh, the six new names this year are Tony Stewart, Jim Pascal, uh, Marvin Panch. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my list. Here we go. Uh, Sam Ard, Neil Bonnet, and Red Vogue. Uh, And six names, like I said, and that's because five went in last year, and Kirk Shelmerdine has been taken off the list this year. Yeah, I find that surprising uh, that that Kirk is off because uh, uh, his contemporary, or one of them, Ray Evernham, is already in the in the Hall of Fame, and if you look at their stats, they virtually mirror one another. So, and and, and of course, we know Ray Ray is very deserving of, of uh, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. So, so too, I should think that uh, that Kirk is equally as is deserving. I mean, I would have argued that Kurt should have been part of the second or third class that got inducted. Honestly, just given what he did for so long with with Dale Earnhardt, so. Um, yeah, it just kind of blows me away. I mean, it would have been kind of cool to see both Kurt and Kirk and Ray put in the same class, but you know, so it goes. Fun and, the and they also announced the nominees for the landmark award: uh, Edsel Ford II, Alvin Hawkins, Mike Helton, Doctor Joseph Mattioli, and Ralph Seagraves. Mm-hmm. Uh, falling off the list this year for that award: Janet Guthrie and Barney Hall. Okay. Well, you know, and, and every everybody you just mentioned is, is significant in, in the sport. Ralph Seagraves, obviously, he comes he comes from uh, bringing R.J. Reynolds uh, into the sport back in the early '70s, which really changed our sport and brought it into the modern era. Uh, you've got uh, Alvin Hawkins, longtime operator at Bowman Gray Stadium, one of the longest running uh, venues. Uh, in NASCAR, start, started out many, many years ago, and then you've got uh, who else did you mention on that? Um, um, Mattioli, uh, yeah, Doctor yeah. Joseph Mattioli of yeah, he, uh, Pocono Raceway. Po- Pocono Raceway, been around a long time, and uh, a couple of the others. You know, of course, Barney Hall. You know, we know what he did for the for the sport with his work with MRN over the years. So uh, always someone deserving in, in, in that thing. And, it, you know, you would think that that, that class right there, you could, you could, uh, I actually do kind of like the baseball hall of fame where you could 
induct several people from that group, you know, each year into it rather than just one. But uh, uh, at least we've got people to, to look forward to getting in for years to come. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, with that being said, let's uh, let's move on to IndyCar. Joey, Joey Barnes just joined us. Um, so uh, St. Pete opener, Joseph Newgarden wins the thing. A little bit of crazy stuff in qualifying that saw uh, some pretty good cars at the back and some pretty slow cars in the middle. So, uh, Joey, take us through the St. Pete Grand Prix. Yeah, so um, we had kind of an interesting mix of uh, talent at the front and the back of the grid. And uh, I'll say this, in qualifying, I think, you know, amid all the stuff, like there was a few teams, Bourdais comes to mind, Marco Andretti, that didn't get a chance to even run a lap. But um, it can't be understated how well Dragon Speed kind of got on with qualifying. I know not to, you know, get all crazy because it was just kind of a middle-of-the-pack qualifying effort, but that's certainly a good notch for a team that's never even set foot on an IndyCar grid before with a driver who doesn't have any experience in an IndyCar. And they were able to go out there and put together a a solid 12th-place qualifying effort in their first-ever showing. So, you know, props to them on that. But, um, yeah, the... It was kind of a fun little race that had a little bit of everything from strategy to just positioning. And, and obviously track position was key. But I think, uh, you know, the, some of the funner moments was obviously early on when Pulsiter Willpower was able to duel with Felix Rosenquist, the hotshot rookie that everybody's touting coming in, and rightfully so. Um, some really good moves between the two. Um, but in the end, it was, like you said, Joseph Newgarden getting the win. He did it by having kind of a fun little middle stint on the reds able to kind of gap the field whenever I believe it was Marco who was actually uh, holding up second place and uh, they ended, he ended up putting a gap and it was enough to extend for the duration of the race. But uh, yeah, so we got new garden uh, Dixon and power. So your, your last two uh, Indy car champions along with the Indy 500 champ run one, two, three Felix Rosenquist, who later confessed that he was essentially running with one arm cause he pinched a nerve or something of that nature uh, for the last, like, 40 laps. Uh, Alexander Rossi, fifth. James Hinchcliffe, sixth. Good run for that team coming from ninth. And uh, especially good considering that everybody welcomed Robert Wickens back to the track to visit this weekend, uh, which was always fun. Simon Pagino, seventh. Rookie Colton Herta, eighth. Santino Ferrucci getting a ninth, uh, his career best finish, which was pretty shocking. He came from 23rd on the grid, the biggest mover of the day. And Jack Harvey for Meyer Shank Racing getting uh, his first top 10 ever in IndyCar. So some feel-good stories there at the bottom end of the top 10. Um, obviously, some of the some of the rough news was there was some sort of engine issue. There was talk of it being a turbo issue at the Honda camp. Bourdais went out early uh, with, with some engine issues, and then Ryan Hunter Ray followed about uh, eight laps later. So kind of interesting to see that. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. The team's a little quiet about it. You know, Dale Coyne released a statement. They say Bourdais was, uh, you know, left the race with a non-team-related issue. Yeah, well, which you know, I, I really like the the careful wording of that. Yeah, I mean you got to be careful in this day and age, right? Otherwise, things can change in a blink of an eye. But I'm kind of wondering, off the backhand of this, and it, something that hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to with some people in Coda. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe it was something to do with an engine mapping. Maybe there was an engine mapping setting that was that was a little bit different. Every team gets a chance to do something different on that end whenever they talk to the to the Honda engineers or even the Chevy engineers and maybe change some of the context of the mapping. And I was kind of wondering if in some sort of way, if that had to either 
hinder the turbo or hinder the different parts of the engine. But um, we'll see. Hopefully I can get a chance to talk to somebody at Coda and figure that out. But um, I think what was kind of fun here in this whole thing was that middle stint talking about New Garden when he was on Reds. Um, you know, they elected to go for scuff reds early in their stint because everybody started, um, you know, on, on, I believe everybody started on reds if I remember correctly. And then they switched to the primary black compound. But, um, when he decided to move to the sticker reds and really got that gap in, you know, all the talk was about the track surface, not being adaptive to the reds because they were going to wear too quick. But, you know, and I'm wondering if we'll see this at Long Beach, Toronto and, and so on and so forth at other street circuits, if you're able to get those primaries out there on a hot, slick surface, because temperatures were soaring up to 118 degrees during the Indy Lights races, I'm kind of wondering, you lay enough rubber down in your first run or two, if you can feel more confident opting for the Reds then, because you feel like the fall-off's going to be a lot less dramatic. Um, yeah, the engineer, to, Mr. Yeah. Richard, could probably take us through that one. But, um, you know, I think that was kind of interesting from that standpoint. I thought it was brilliant work on not just – it wasn't just luck of the draw that came in on that and, and ended up with that. I mean, Tim Sindrick played it to a T, knowing mm-hmm. how traffic was planning out and, and essentially using the lapped car as a pick on pace because with the way things were cycled, you would have thought that this was going to be Will Power versus Felix Rosenquist, you know, pound for pound all the way through to the end. And somehow Newgarden, Gap Dixon, who got power, who got out of Rosenquist, mm-hmm. you got to really question how that – Chip Ganassi pit crew let Rosenquist fall from essentially battling for the lead to coming out in fourth place out of everybody uh, with a miracle save coming out of the pits because uh, he pretty much got chopped by oncoming traffic and had a had a handful of wheel there. Um, but going going out of the pits into two, yeah, I think we learned a lot about the uh, the IndyCar season in race one. But I honestly, at the same time, we've got more questions because I feel like. We all get hyped up on Scott Dixon trying to go back-to-back. We get hyped up on power. I know a lot of us picked him uh, last week. Rosenquist is talented, and Rossi is that hotshot American. And somehow through it all, a lot of us have kind of missed Newgarden. Yeah. You know, it's funny how he's you know, he's a defending champ two, two years ago, but the common theme among some of the paddock, not all, but some of the paddock, you know, he just becomes kind of that forgotten guy. Like, he, he got his accolades, and we just thought that, okay, you got your accolades, and you're going to move by the wayside, and clearly he showed that that's not the case uh, this past weekend. So really interested to see how this season plays out. And, I mean, maybe he's the guy that comes back. You know, he had that motto last year called defend the one, and unfortunately he, for him he wasn't able to do that. But maybe this year is that uh, slogan, reclaim the one, in full effect. I find it I find it pretty interesting that for the second year in a row we've had a rookie emerge in the first race last year was Robert Wickens and this well, year we've got Rosenquist. You, there's a difference between being a rookie and being a true rookie, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, right. let's, let's be honest. Like well, Robert all these Wickens, guys come, come with, with, with a degree of experience in other forms too, but, but uh, I think it's just how they've emerged. They've come, you know, in this first race and, and, and kind of emerge. We'll, we'll see what they do going forward. I mean, talent translates, and, and, you know, I mean, with somebody like Colton Herta doesn't have as much seat time and a lot of diverse stuff mm-hmm. quite like Felix Rosenquist does. I mean, you look at somebody like Robert Wickens when he came over and wowed everybody last year. He came over from a very heavy DTM. Previous to that, he had open-wheel experience. Mm-hmm. And Rosenquist, I, I think it's so funny 
me and a few friends were, were texting uh, about this this past weekend. So many people are like, oh, wow, Felix Rosenquist. It's like the world doesn't know who he is. They're about to. Uh, actually, technically, the world knows. The United States didn't know. They're about mm-hmm. to because the world knows that this kid should be alongside Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes seat. Mm-hmm. And here he is. We're lucky enough to have him in IndyCar. Uh, just Macau Grand Prix wins uh, multiple times. Incredible resume on street courses. And that's why I think, I still think he's going to win at Long Beach. Um, you know, I just, him on a street course is pure magic. Now, how does he adapt to ovals? And how does he adapt to, he's already run Indy Lights ovals and road courses, but how does that translate? Because on street courses, you just, you don't bet against him. Nine times out of 10, he's going to be somebody that can bring it home. You know, we talked about everybody but him last week in our IndyCar preview, you know, looking forward to this could be one of the most competitive IndyCar seasons ever. You know, we all talked about our favorites and, and who we thought would emerge. And it's, uh, it's you know, this guy could uh, could surprise us all. Yeah, nothing will push a five-time champion quite like having a rookie quite as fast as Felix, I'll tell you that much. So it'll be interesting to see how much that raises Scott Dixon's game because he hasn't been pushed. I guarantee you this. He hasn't been pushed to this level since Dario. Period. And, yeah, and, I'm, and, uh, and I'm just really interested to see how an, an older, wiser, more crafty veteran, Scott Dixon, handles that. Mm-hmm. So, Rossi yeah, it's going to be an interesting Ro- season for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Rossi came in fifth, did he not? Didn't he? Yes. Yeah, he, he got a top five. So, you know, that pretty much, uh, you know, we had Rossi, who was, uh, who was the man to beat in a lot of races last year. In fact, I believe I picked New Garden to win last week so the yes. only one that didn't overlook him yeah <laughs> there, there you go gray yep. well, there you go I, I, so. i'm one for one right now okay all right <laughs> hey hey let's uh let's move on to formula one now uh richard you yes. have five and a half minutes <laughs> so, oh well uh, so, some breaking news just we yeah. just heard some breaking news as we're on the show so i'll let you share it yeah, unfortunately, the uh, FIA race director, Charlie Whiting, uh, passed away today in uh, in Melbourne ahead of the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, a shocking, uh, shocking story to come out, you know, on the eve of the of the new season. Um, Charlie had been the FIA race director for probably nearly over 20 years now and uh, instrumental in a lot of the, uh, the things we see on a race weekend these days, um, not just from the action on that you see on track, but also the safety side. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people that have uh, have made racing a lot lot safer. Not just in Formula One, you know, the work that he did and and guys like Sid Watkins, <clears throat> as well, have done have certainly had a knock on effect in Formula One and and IndyCar and NASCAR and you know lots and lots of other race series. So um, yeah, a, a real real shock. Um, and he was a polarizing figure at times for some of the calls that he made during a race, but um, yeah, no, it, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be a void um, going into this weekend, I think, and it, it's, it's really going to hit people quite hard. He was, um, you know, very, very influential and very, very well-respected guy within the paddock and uh, it was quite often seen as the sort of calming influence there. So, that is a shame. However, as we all know, you know, the, the racing series, the racing must go on. And, um, yeah, First race of the season down in Melbourne, as it has been since 1996, I think it was, by one year. Um, 
And yeah, it'd be great to get back out on the track, see the cars running again, get a real idea of where all the cars stack up based on um, you know post preseason testing. Uh, Red Bull have fast tracked some of their upgrades and improvements that they had penciled in for China. They're now going to be available in Australia. Uh, will Ferrari be ahead by a quarter of a second, as Mercedes has been saying? Uh, will Mercedes have found some of that gap? You know, the most interesting battle is probably going to be the form of the one and a half, as people are calling it. You know, the 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 battle for um, you know fourth place up back in the in constructors championships. Uh, who's going to be the head of that pack? Is it going to be Haas, like you saw last year in Melbourne? Is it McLaren going to be there? Toro Rosso, Renault, Force India, oh, not Force India, Project Force, Project Racing, or whatever they're called now, sorry. Um, you know, will Williams still be languishing at the back there? Uh, where are Alfa Moreira going to be with, with Kimi um, in, in, in the car? Um, a lot of questions to, to answer, and uh, it could be a very exciting weekend. Um, races, I think, around about 1 o'clock in the morning, Eastern time on Sunday. So it's either a very early morning or a very late night for some people. But, um, yeah, the, the, you know, obviously it's all going to be overshadowed this weekend, unfortunately, by Charlie's uh, passing. But um, Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's definitely, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I imagine they've got somebody lined up to... There is an assistant his, race director, yes. ...take his place. So, but, I mean, yeah. uh, that's the last thing that guy had on his mind, getting to Melbourne, is like... For sure. You know, having that thrust into his lap, so hopefully that mm-hmm. won't have any kind of adverse effect on the race. But I'm sure whoever they have is, uh, uh, you know, probably very skilled at it. But uh, yeah, very, very sad to hear about, you know, Charlie um, very unexpectedly passing away. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I said, he's been a fixture with the series for years. So, but yeah. uh, again, with, with every new season, there seems to be undue pressure on Ferrari to perform. Yeah, you know, because. Well, because they're Ferrari, yeah. Um, but they they've been um, they've been they've been pretty impressive in preseason testing. You know, the whole t- taking the gloss out of their paint, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to to shave a few seconds off is uh. I mean, but but do you feel like Ferrari is for real this year? I mean, I know behind the scenes that it's been a bit of chaos for about three years now. But uh, <laughs> do you feel like maybe this year Ferrari finally? gets it together and mounts an actual challenge? They have to at some point, don't they, realistically. You know, the, the momentum has certainly been building over the last couple of years. And and what you see with Mercedes, for the and what you saw with Red Bull prior to that, when they had their four and five years winning streaks, respectively, they, they just look like they're ready to win. And they look set up and they look prepared and they execute well, you know. More than any other racers in the world, maybe Le Mans, but you know Formula One is all about execution. It's, it is, yeah, about having the fastest car, but you've got to execute properly. And Mercedes have done that flawlessly. Red Bull did that flawlessly. Uh, Ferrari have always seemed to shoot themselves in the foot when it's come to that over the last few years. Maybe a little bit of their culture, I don't know. But um, you know, hopefully that's starting to ch- turn and. Um, you know, it'll be a, a great season, competitive season. And, and, and I don't think Red Bull are going to be far away. The Red Bull-Honda package, I think, is going to be pretty pretty competitive as well. I think Honda is slowly starting to up their game as well. I mean, I, I look at this from a standpoint of also with Ferrari. You've got a Rivet Bene for so long who is really good. And, and I take nothing away from him, but there's a difference between a Rivet Bene and, you know, Benito uh, that's over there or however you pronounce his, his last name. But, um, 
you know, I feel like I feel like when you're going up against Total Wolf, you need a, a guy that's not emotional quite like what Ariva Bene was. You need a guy who is focused on his own program because you knew that Ariva Bene still listened to the things on the outside. He could say we're focused on our own operation and inside. Yeah. But if that's the case, he wouldn't have to defend the fact that he's always looking inside. Like you don't say you're focused on the inside if you're listening to the outside nonsense. So, you know, at the end of the day, Ferrari hears everything. Um, so it's a matter of having a right guy at the top of the leadership circle. And I feel like they've got it, um, with Bonotti in place. And, you know, if there is a year, this is it, because let's remember with Kimi gone, their last race winner and their last world champion is no longer a part of the program anymore. And you're looking at now, what has it been? 13 years since they held a Mm -hmm. world championship. So, uh, seven, so 12. Do it. Seven. Yeah. It's 2007. Yeah. yeah, 12. Okay. So, so 12. Yeah, and we've never run in, since Formula One began. We've never had a, a one full decade, you know, whether it's ninety to two thousand or, or so on and so forth. You know, a decade at a time. We've never had a run where you've never had a Formula One champion that wasn't represented in the red overalls. Um, this, if it doesn't change soon, uh, we will. Plain and simple. And I, at some point, the horseshoe doesn't stay with Mercedes. Plain and simple. Uh, they can run as well as they want to, but at some point, Bo- at some point, Botas gets sick of it. Hamilton runs into bad luck. The most intriguing thing for me is, you know, what happens with Renault. Can Daniel Ricciardo be that person that really takes Renault mm-hmm. to that next step? Um, I don't think so early on, but I think you're going to see some gains out of them middle of the year. Yeah. So no, I, I think that um, you know it started as. You know, there's been obviously the, the regulation changes this year, but as the regulations start to stagnate, you do tend to get a concertina effect on, on the grid dispersion because teams, for a start, engineers start to move around and take ideas from one team to another, and this, yeah. the gains that you can find become smaller and smaller. So you're naturally going to have that content, you know, the, the, the field close up. But it's going to be interesting, but as I say, I would I would be very surprised if, if Ferrari aren't the dominant car. Well, not dominant, no, the fastest car, because they can be fast, and we all know they can shoot themselves. And oh, I hope they don't. I really would love to see them, uh, you know, execute efficiently and boringly, if that's a real real word. I'd love to see Ferrari just do the business. They always start well. It's about how you finish, though. Well, very true. But remember, the faster you are, the less room there are for improvements. We, we'd, all, we'd all like to see Ferrari do well. But, guys, we are out of time. So we do have just enough time to go around the table and get everyone get a, one pick for the NASCAR race, one for the for the Formula One race. So I'll start with you, Gray. Uh, I'm going to say Kevin Harvick at California. He, he uh, breaks into the win column for the first time in 2019. And in the Formula One, I'm going to have to go with Vettel. All right. And, Seth, you are next. Uh, for NASCAR, I'm going to go with Larson, and I'll go with Lewis Hamilton for F1. All right. And then Richard? Uh, Truex, and let's go with Verstappen. Let's go for a bit of a curveball there. All right. And Joey? Uh, Blaney and Leclerc. Okay. So I'm going to go with uh, Kyle Busch and Lewis Hamilton. Why not? So... Um, guys, that's all the time we have. I want to thank you for um, tuning in to Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank you, Seth, Joey, Gray, Richard, all you guys. I want to thank our guest, Derek DeBoer. 
until uh, next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N-A-C-O-O-N